sandwich and an order of french fries, please. No, no tuna. You're out of tuna? No tuna. You cheese like this? Uh, I'll have a cheeseburger and a small Coke. Uh, no, uh, no Coke. Uh, Pepsi. Pepsi. Cheeseburger, 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 four Pepsi, two cheap. Cheeseburger, 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 two Pepsi, one cheap. It's not easy running a restaurant. 90% of new ones fail, but let's look at some successes. It's an Americanized Mongolian barbecue. An interactive grill and bar. Where Mongolian barbecue has that huge round grill. Guests select their ingredients, they put it all together. A labor of love for two high school friends. If you could do it all over again, would you? Yes. Yes, yeah. Restaurants are, yeah, it's, it's, uh... And a long-time family-owned deli. People do enjoy some of the traditional foods, and I can't even count how many matzo balls we just made for Passover. But we need to keep up with the latest food trends. We have a large team of close to 100 people working here. However, at the end of the day, it's my name on there. Everything that happens, it's my name. This is the language of business. A weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we'll look at restaurant profitability. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. It's no surprise that the restaurant business runs hot and cold. We're here at Fire and Ice in Boston with Rafael Barbosa, who is the Chief Operating Officer. Rafael, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you. It's great to be here. You run five restaurants at the same time. How is that possible? <sighs> time. Uh, lots of time. A little stress. No hair. So yeah, we run five restaurants. We are based out of Boston. We have uh, systems in place that kind of help run those restaurants across the country. And where are they across the country? Mostly in the East Coast. So we have Boston and Cambridge. And then we have a location in Providence, Rhode Island. And then we have all the way out west. We have one in Southern California in Anaheim, in the Anaheim Garden Walk. And then we have Northern California in South Lake Tahoe. How did you arrive at these five locations? When they first opened, we won the NRN Hot Concept Award and it kind of generated a lot of buzz. Uh, at the time, Marriott was in town. They just fell in love with Fire Nice Boston. They went to the time to the owner, Jim Miller, and said, you know, I really want to open this as a franchise. What do you think of franchising? We're like, well, we never really thought of franchising, but let's, hey, let's do this. So we now have three franchise and two corporate. Is this a standard franchise arrangement where they pay you an upfront fee and then royalties? Pretty standard, standard upfront fee, and then we have royalties. It's a low uh, compared to other franchise restaurants. It's a reasonably a low fee. If they hit benchmark sales, then the, the fee tends to go up. It's a common truth in the restaurant business that wherever you are, the restaurant runs the best. So how do you run places on the West Coast to do it well? I travel a lot, you know, and I hire the good operators where we have this, like I said, systems in place. That really is all. How about the day-to-day -day profitability? How do you manage that aspect? Day-to-day -day profitability, uh, stick to the budget. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things is, uh, you know, if they miss their budget, find out why. Try to, you know, pivot in any sort of way we can to make sure that we hit that bottom line number. Constant improvement through making things a little bit better. Are the demographics of all five restaurants the same? They're not. It's a great question. So Fire and Ice, Boston, Cambridge, and Providence are all located in heavily college-focused areas. So our demographics tend to skew towards 
the 18 to 24 college students, whereas our Anaheim and our South Lake Tahoe locations are both in heavily tourist areas. And South Lake Tahoe is one of the best ski sure. areas around, so it's, you know, it gets a lot of that, you know, pre-ski, you know, post-ski, you know, want to have a drink, want to have a nice comfort meal, whereas Anaheim is across from Disney. It's literally right across from Disney, so we get that a lot of families and a lot of tourists, people out of town, so. Given that they're changing demographics, is the profitability of each of those restaurants the same? They are a little bit different, whereas the Boston college crowd, they tend to eat a little bit more as the South Lake Tahoe ski crowd, you know, so that it does tend to change a little bit. Uh, luckily that these restaurants in the East Coast have a little bit more volume, so it kind of all ends up working out. As you get more volume, does it automatically equal more profitability? Not necessarily, <laughs> as much as I wish it would. Depends, I mean, sometimes, you know, the management team could have a bad month where they just let something slip, they order too much, things have to be thrown out, or there's thefts that we're not, you know, we're unaware of. So not necessarily, but most likely, that tends to be the case. What makes your food offerings unique? So Fire Nights is a unique concept. It's an Americanized Mongolian barbecue, where Mongolian barbecue has that huge round grill. Uh, guests select their ingredients, they put it all together. So the guests put together their own combinations? They do. Guests select their ingredients, and then we have the giant grill in the middle of the restaurant. If the guest has an allergy, we train our staff to accommodate them a little bit differently, where their food is cooked out back separately from everything, just in case we went out with so many allergies, we have to make sure everyone's safe. Here in your Boston location, you have two floors. Are both floors exactly the same? They're not. So we've been around, like I said, for about over 15 years now. And in this Boston location, we've always, we had this bar downstairs, which was, you know, not performing to where we'd like it to. It was a, it's a big space and a great location. And um, we just decided to, instead of remodeling it, we decided, well, let's try something new. Whereas Fire Nice is, you know, the 18 to 25 sure. demographic. And uh, we tried, well, what happens if we reach out to that over 30, that business crowd, you know, people who get out of the office, they want to have a drink. So we created Under Fire, which is a new concept. It is a craft cocktail bar with a built-in uh, taco bar. I love food trucks. I've always wanted to own a food truck. Uh, I'm a little past that now. So, but, so what I did is we put a food truck kitchen inside of a bar. So while you're having a cocktail, you can have some fresh tacos as well. It's doing really well. From a profitability perspective, the COO runs the entire show. How do you deal with the boss? The boss, well, as long as my, you know, my bottom line numbers are there, he usually is pretty happy. Rafael, thank you. You're welcome, it was great to be on the show. Rafael Barbosa, the COO of Fire and Ice. Coming up on The Language of Business, two friends from high school open a restaurant in the middle of the 2008 recession as The Language of Business look at restaurant profitability continues. Back to Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. They say restaurants make most of their money on alcohol, but how do you capitalize on that? We're here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, a cava tapas and wine bar where they have not only one, but two wine bars. John Acker and Greg Sessler, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Do you get double the profits because you have two wine bars? <laughs> I wish, <laughs> but no. When we first opened the restaurant, we had a similar view that the restaurant industry and clientele had gone to a scene where people really liked sitting at a bar, even if you were going to a very nice restaurant. Not generally speaking, you'd always want to sit at a table. There's a lot of businessmen that are always constantly traveling. Very regularly, they are by themselves. So having the option of the bar seating allows people in that kind of predicament to come in and still feel comfortable to have a nice dinner while sitting at a bar and not like alone at a table, if you will. How do you make money opening in 2008, the height of a recession? You know, 2008 was, was a tough time to start. We've kind of gone into it with 
the idea that we didn't know any better and that was what we had expected. So each year it's gotten a little easier since then as things have improved. John, how did you get started in 2008 from a financial perspective? Greg and I both went to high school together. We were uh, best friends in high school. I grew up in his family, he grew up in mine. My father is a financial consultant, estate planner um, in the area. And he had seen Greg and I work through the business, had a lot of confidence in both of what we brought to the table said that he would finance the project in the beginning. I guess not popular with a lot of his financial friends. In shorter phrases, they thought he was nuts. Pretty much, yeah. But at the same time, we had confidence in ourselves with what we were doing. I don't think we would have done it otherwise. It was literally only a little over three years later that we were actually able to pay him back. Is he still a partner in the business? No, and that was one reason why it actually worked out. My father knows nothing about the restaurant business. He technically doesn't like going to restaurants because he believes he cooks the best food in the world at his house. Um, but he did this by saying, listen, you guys do what you want to do. I really will have no impact on what you're going to do. He was about as silent as a silent partner could be. But once he did receive his money back, there is no other tie to the restaurant with him. Are you both 50-50 partners? We are, yes. Are you also 50-50 partners in profits and in losses? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Have you had any down years since 2011 when you repaid the original investment? No. no. We've been very fortunate that our numbers have grown every single year that we've been open, knock on wood. You know, we're a very small restaurant, so on Fridays and Saturdays, we hit capacity fairly easily. What we have seen in larger numbers is the middle of the week clientele. You know, most people, when the economy was bad, they were coming out on Friday and Saturday night. That was their night to go out. Right. You're seeing more now people coming out on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday nights, which is growing those numbers exponentially through the years. Also for us too, I mean, one thing about that is we've been trying to put back into the restaurant, you know, whether it be maintenance or decor or the staff, we're, we're constantly trying to continually invest back into that platform, I guess. If you could do it all over again, would you? Yes. Yes, yeah. Restaurants are, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it certainly is one of those things you have to be passionate about. I mean, there's definitely easier ways to probably make money out there, but um, yeah, it is a fun way, I think. I think John and I both have passion for it and enjoy working together. And Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Greg Sessler, John Ecker, co-owners of Kava Tapas and Wine Bar here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Thank you for being on The Language of Business. Cheers. Thank you. The business owner's name is on the door. Is that a good thing? Coming up next on The Language of Business. Our sponsor is Swap-Ons. Want to experience something truly unique on the other side of your phone? Swap-Ons. Personalize your phone case like never before. Pick your case model and color. Sleek design, anti-slip sides. Drop test protection? Passed and exceeded. Choose your swaps. There are thousands of great designs. Sports, travel, nature, and more. Or create your own swaps. Upload your pics or your business logo. Add custom frames. Swap-ons. They started infinite swap for you. Live it, love it, swap it. Swapons.com. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Nine out of every ten restaurants fail, but that doesn't mean you won't be successful. We're on location here in Brookline, Massachusetts with Andrew Wiener, who founded Catering by Andrew 30 years ago. Welcome to the language of business. Thank you, Greg. 
Your name is on the door as catering by Andrew. Do you manage differently since it's your likeness? Yes, we manage our business much differently than a company that doesn't have a person's name on the door. We have a large team of close to 100 people working here. However, at the end of the day, it's my name on there. Everything that happens, it's my name. Is this your first catering company? This is my first catering company. We started this as an offshoot of my father's restaurant. Approximately 40 years ago, he opened a restaurant here in Brookline, broke every business rule out there. Did you give any thought to using your name as opposed to the name of someone else, like in the case of Wendy's, when it was named after his daughter? We picked the name Catering by Andrew. Literally, as we were doing our first event, we needed a name. And I believe it just, my mother said, hey, use the name Catering by Andrew. I mean, unlike a big corporation, Wendy's, you're not looking to speak to Wendy. It's funny, I remember growing up here in Boston, my grandfather had a store, a little market. And his name of his store was Sandy Superette, named after his daughter. Except in his case, everybody knew it was Henry's store. Restaurants, nine out of 10 of them fail. Caterers, probably the same thing. How have you been able to stick around and do well for 30 years? We manage each job, whether I myself am at the job or one of our managers is at the job. They've been trained to try to think like I think and figure out how to meet the customer's needs and go above their expectations. And this should never be the word no or we don't have it. But that's a manager talking. How do you keep the staff calm and cool under pressure? Well, good management, Greg, will, good management will not let a situation get out of control. There's always gonna be challenges. We are not making widgets. We're not doing the same thing every day. Every day, something new comes down the pike. Whether there's an ingredient shortage that you've planned for three months and all of a sudden there's a flood in Florida and there's no strawberries. Whatever it is, we have to find it. Whether we have to fly something in from California or from South America, we make it happen. And part of that culture that we've worked with the managers is to work with the staff, work with the team, and make sure they understand when a challenge arises, don't get nervous, don't show it, huddle in the back, stop and think we will find a solution. How often do you have to jump in and do some of the cooking or preparation yourself? Every once in a while, whether it's the holidays, whether it's around the Rosh Hashanah holiday or Thanksgiving or just recently Passover, where we are so far above capacity that everybody, the office team joins in, I'm joining, everybody, family members will come in. First of all, it's a wonderful thing for the team to see ownership participating, just to show that the office is not separate. Over 30 years, I'm sure you've had some sleepless nights. What keeps you up at night and how do you persevere through it? That's a great question. And if I told you I slept every night, my wife would be laughing at you right now. Don't be fooled by anybody. We'll sit here and tell you how business is great. We love what we do. But whether electricity is going to go out, whether a truck breaks down, whether staff can't make it to an event, yes, we are going to lose a little sleep. What gets you to sleep eventually is you know you've done the planning. You know everything is lined up. The backup systems are in place. The funny thing is, is after the events, you don't sleep either. After large weekends or large conventions where you've gone for two days where the crew is running at 20 hours a day and now you finally, we're done. The client's finished, the brunch was just served the next morning, everything is great. Now you try to calm down and relax. And if you don't have that feeling, you shouldn't be in the business. What do you foresee as your biggest challenge in the next five years? Boston is a hotbed, almost an incubator, as you would, they would say, for food and culinary creations. Being in the kosher market, there's only so many knishes and little hot dogs people want to serve at the party. Now, people do enjoy some of the traditional foods, and I can't even count how many matzo balls we just made for Passover, but we need to keep up with the latest food trends. 
I would have probably liked to have gone back and had a little more business experience, maybe rely a little more on some business systems to put in place. At the end of the day, I think things have been great. Andrew, thank you. Andrew Weiner, founder of Catering by Andrew here in Brookline, Massachusetts. Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. You can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes. We now have downloads in 45 countries and 33 states plus D.C. Thanks for the support. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.